A number of years ago, I uh, did something that uh, I wasn't sure if was foolish or not at the time. Uh, I, I paid hundreds of dollars to run over 26 miles and get a $2 little medal at the end to make me feel really important. And then uh, really just be in a lot of pain for not only the race, but, uh, but to barely be able to walk for the next number of days. And so uh, on top of that, it was 42 and rainy the entire time, uh, like downpouring. So it was like running through puddles the entire time. Uh, you always ask yourself, if you're running a race like that, what in the world am I doing? Why am I here doing this? Nevertheless, I actually did enjoy it. Uh, but, um, and, and I actually did pretty well. It was a number of years ago. I don't think I could do that now. But uh, for me to cross the finish line and to cross the finish line in the time I did, it took a whole community of people around me to get me to the goal that I had set. Uh, in fact, I wouldn't even done the marathon had I not had some friends challenge me and invite me to do it. It wasn't uh, on the forefront of my mind. I had someone that ran the race with me who had run marathons before and was able to coach me each step of the way. I had a training plan put together by a professional running coach so that uh, I knew as well. I had another friend who'd run quite a few marathons coach me on all the day of stuff, what to do where, what to drink, what liquid to have when, and where to put it there, and when to go to bed and when to get up and all that stuff. I had uh, friends that ran with me on training runs along the way. And most importantly, I had a wonderful and amazing wife who supported me all along the way, gave me many Saturday mornings to, to train, to go run 15, 20 miles, uh, and traveled to the marathon with me. It, it took a community of people. It sure felt good to get to the goal but what I discovered along the way was that my biggest delight wasn't in completing it. It was the community and fellowship I experienced along the way. Those friendships became some of my deepest friendships. Uh, going through the trials together, running together, going through the ups and downs together. Uh, that ended up being the most rewarding part of it. It was the community that got me where I was and where I wanted to go. So if we're, if, if we're, to be honest, and look back whether you ran a marathon ever or not, for better or for worse, we are a result of the relationships that are around us or that have been around us, right? We're, look, at, look at your family, right? The community you grew up in, for better or for worse, <laughs> right? You are a result of the community you grew up in your home. You're a result of, of the best friends that you had going through school together. You're a result of, of some friends that have maybe walked some highs and lows with you along the way. And inside of us, there is a longing for relationship. And we all know it. And we know it when we don't have it. And so it's not a surprise when we look at who God is this is all part of what he designed. We're not made to feel fully alive all by ourselves. It goes all the way back to creation. God said it's not good for man to be alone. 
You see, God himself is a community. We believe in a God that is really unique as Christians. He's, he's one in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He has community in and of himself, right? He has fellowship, and they're serving one another. They're loving one another. They're encouraging one another. They're, 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 the Son is glorifying the Father, and the Holy Spirit is pointing people to Jesus, and Jesus is pouring out the Holy Spirit onto people. It's an incredible community. God is a communal God. And so when Jesus came to earth and to die for us and give his life for our sin and, and, and rose from the dead, the Bible says he did that, that we may have life and life more abundantly. Isn't that a good verse? I want an abundant life, right? I want an abundant life. You see, when, when we got saved, God didn't just save us into relationship with him. God saved us into relationship with his body as well. Y'all tracking with me? We got saved into a family. We got saved into, a, into the church body. So there's no lone ranger, me and Jesus, Christians only. Like it's, me and Jesus is absolutely a part of it, right? But, but Jesus didn't have a disciple. He had disciples, and then they traveled in groups. They did life together in groups. They did life together in relationships, right? And it was that community that formed one another. They're like, what is this idiot doing cutting ears off of people? You know, we've been following Jesus for two years. You know, what is this guy doing trying to be competitive? With? They brought their junk into community with Jesus at the middle of it, and they slowly got transformed, right? A bunch, a bunch of dorks like us got transformed and changed the world because Jesus didn't just say, hey, you develop a relationship with me, and I'll hang out with you individually all one-on-one. No, he, he developed a community. That's what he came to do, and they got transformed in community. Think of, think of a body, the body of Christ, for example. If you cut a body part off, it misses the lifeblood and flow that it needs to have by being connected to the body. This is the analogy the Bible uses about Jesus and his church. So man, if you show me a lone ranger Christian, I'll show you someone who's missing the abundant life of transformation that God has. Doesn't mean they don't love Jesus and God's not at work in their life, but God designed it that if we're gonna have the abundant life that Jesus purchased for us, we need to go about accessing that in the family of God that Jesus died to purchase for himself. Y'all tracking? All right. Seem a little tired this morning. Just want to make sure y'all awake. Let, let me illustrate this for us for a minute. Right? I want you to think of your favorite restaurant. You could even put it up on that, uh, the, the Let's Grab Lunch board. Think of your favorite restaurant. Don't spare money either. You know, money's not an issue here. Think of your favorite restaurant, right? Where do you love to go? Now, I want you to think of Taco Bell. Now, if that was the same deal, if that was the same restaurant, then we can pray for you, you know, do some deliverance with you after church, because, you know, there's bigger issues there. Now, so think of your favorite restaurant, and I want you to contrast that with Taco Bell, right? Would you rather 
eat at Taco Bell by yourself, which I've been, been guilty of sometimes, you know, eating Taco Bell over lunch break. Like, what am I doing here? How did I get here in life? <laughs> right? I've been guilty of that. Would you rather eat Taco Bell by yourself or be at your favorite restaurant with some of your favorite people? Right? Which one would be an experience that you'd want to remember? It ain't going to be Taco Bell, right? But I, I think we often do church and want church to be in Taco Bell form. We want it to be fast, cheap, convenient, and on my terms, right? Have it your way. That's BK. But we don't want to pay. We want it to be fast, in and out. And we don't really care, you know, if it's good for us. We just hope it is, you know, because we want it to be convenient, right? But the only thing happening at Taco Bell is you're getting done dirty, like, you know, uh, and you'll probably feel that later, right? You see, community that Jesus died for it is costly. Yeah. Jesus paid a high price to bring together an abundant life community. And for us to step into that and experience that abundant life is probably not going to be fast, cheap, and convenient. Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. And that's, that's not, that's un-American. You know what I mean? Because I like things, there's a reason I had a Taco Bell sometimes over lunch. I like life fast, cheap, and convenient, so I feel your pain. But we have an incredible challenge, but an incredible opportunity before us here as the church of Jesus. Because we are in an epidemic of loneliness, now, sadly, I think that's often happening in the church as well because we're wanting it to be fast food for us. But we're in an epidemic of loneliness. This is 2019 statistic before the pandemic. 61% of Americans said they're lonely. And in fact, the younger generations who are more connected on social media are actually the most lonely. In fact, 80% of Gen Zers said they're lonely. It's interesting, the, the more social media connection actually says, the more lonely you feel, statistics say. That's just general loneliness, but more extreme loneliness, 36% of respondents in a, in a Harvard study said they feel lonely frequently or almost all of the time or all of the time. 61% of young people ages 18 to 25 said they feel lonely almost all of the time or all of the time. Church, what an opportunity we have before us to be the church. Outside these walls are thousands and millions of people who are craving to experience what Jesus died to give us. But the reality is often we're not willing to cultivate it ourselves, so we have very little to give the world. So I want to take a look today and answer the question, what does a transformative Jesus community look like? What does a transformative Jesus community look like? And what I want to do is go back and look at the seed planted in early Christianity, in the early church. Because 
the DNA here we see in this seed changed the world. There are billions of Christians across the world, and God is doing incredible things. And it was built on this DNA and this foundation here in the early church. We're going to look at Acts chapter 2, 42 to 47. Some of these things are going to be real similar to church as we know it and church as we see it here in the West, in America. And some of these things are radically different than how often we see or do church in the West. Acts chapter 2, 42 to 47. We're going to read it. Here we go. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, and the breaking bread, and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing to the, the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. Now, what's going on here? Just some context for us. There were Jewish believers gathered in Jerusalem from all over, from many nations. They had traveled there to celebrate the Feast of Pentecost. This happens 50 days after Passover, and this feast celebrates the first fruits of the wheat harvest. And this is actually the most traveled to feast of all the Jewish feasts, partially because the weather that time of the year made it very accessible. They didn't have airplanes, right? They didn't have an autobahn to get there. They had to travel through the elements. So this was the most attended feast. So Jerusalem at this time was like a very cosmopolitan people from all over, all nations coming together to celebrate this feast. So you had people staying in hotels. They had people staying in one another's homes um, because they were there to worship lots of people from out of town. And the Holy Spirit falls powerfully upon the church. Thousands get saved. And so what you have now is this kind of new church. I mean, there were, you know, there were 120 gathered together in the upper room, but now you have this church which has grown. You have this new church. You have people from all over the place who are out of their homes and probably have needs. And you have this radical Acts kind of chapter 2 community that we see here happening. One interesting thing to note is that they met both in the temple and house to house as well. They gathered in the temple and house to house. And so early church scholars have studied, you know, what are they doing in a different place? In the temple, it's the whole church gathering together. There's broad relationships that are maybe not as deep, but there's just a broader network of relationships and maybe some deeper connections as they go. Corporate worship is happening. Biblical instruction and teaching is happening in that setting. But then a house-to-house was kind of like house church or life groups, right? They had deeper relationships where, where the temple was a little big, they could go deep with a handful of people. They were able to really minister to one another. They were able to be vulnerable with one another, say, hey, here's my need. Here's my financial need. Here's my emotional need. I'm feeling alone. They were able to minister in the gifts of the Spirit, the power of God that had been poured out. Uh, there in Acts 2, they were able to pray for one another, minister to one another, be in one another's lives. Big church became small, and they were able to focus on the application 
of the teaching they'd received. So they're opening scriptures themselves, but they're focusing on the application of the apostles' teaching. How are you living this out? Because they want to be doers, not just hearers. That's one of the problems often in our church culture. We, we know a lot. We're like the guy that lifts weights on the upper body but has chicken legs. You know what I mean? We know a lot, but we do very little of our faith. And so it's in these smaller communities we're able to be doers of the words and the instruction we've received. And so... We at Antioch wholeheartedly believe that both of these are needed. We gather together as a broader church family on Sunday, and that has some very specific roles. And then we gather together in smaller groups, in our life groups, in our, 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 our mental health grace groups, different things we have going on, so that we can go deeper with one another and live out the word of God. And so there's numerous circles. When we say church, there's me and Jesus, which is needed. There's a broader church, which is needed. And then there's house to house, which is needed as well. God created all these different kind of avenues of church. So what are three, three things I want to point out that were marks on the DNA that made this early church a transformative, world-changing community of people? Number one, Jesus was in the middle. Jesus was in the middle of their gatherings. Now, one interesting thing that scholars have noted about, um, about the time and era and the context of what was going on is that people were being disenfranchised in the political and civic realm. They were dis- the, the Jewish believers were disenfranchised with the lack of, of, of political power. They're waiting for a political savior. So they're becoming disenfranchised because their political savior dreams were not working. At the same time, as all of us get, they were disenfranchised by their own family of origin, right? Like all of us, they had broken families that, that they grew up in, and it left them at times uh, uh, needing more. And so what naturally happened was these house-to-house kind of third-box communities, these third-way communities. They were disenfranchised by politics. Family was great, but it wasn't perfect and didn't save them. And so these third-way communities sprung up very naturally. Man, isn't that what we're in today? (laughs) Man, hasn't politics solved all our problems in the last six, ten years? Hasn't it worked great? And I'm glad, you know, one of these days we'll get the perfect president here and he'll, he'll lead us to heaven. No, like, like there's totally a role for politics, but politics alone ain't working. We're more divided than ever before. In family alone, I mean, I think many of us, our family issues came up in the pandemic. (laughs) And we're like, dang, I'm more messed up than I thought. My family's more messed up than I thought, right? (laughs) Now, uh, we, we all got broken families, but these are not working just like it wasn't working in these times. Look, we're killing one another, literally. Why? Because when our relationship with God unravels, our relationships unravel. When our relationship with God unravels or is absent, our relationships unravel. Life to the full community can only happen when Jesus is at the center, right? So what brought the early church together? It wasn't politics. It wasn't ethnic groups or race. 
uh, or, or nas- nation of origin because these, these Jewish believers had gathered from all over. It was a diverse group of people who had encountered the power of the Holy Spirit who were from all over coming together around the person of Jesus, right? They were, they were coming around a, about, around a Savior who served, who forgave, who loved unconditionally, who gave his life and therefore invites us to give our life to one another, and that's exactly what they're doing. They're giving generously. They were meeting one another's needs. They were inviting each other into each other's homes. They were loving. They were forgiving. They were breaking bread together, and they were a diverse group of people doing it. Guys, that's what the world is looking for. And it's looking at the church wondering if we can be that place that lives that out or not. I know I remember the first life group I went to back when I went to uh, an Antioch church in Texas. And I just say, I hated it. I thought it was really lame. First of all, I was really cool back when I was in college. Uh, I drove this big truck, right? I lifted weights a lot and judged people that didn't. Uh, <laughs> kind of true. Uh, I kind of had it together. I come in, the life group leader looks like he's a hippie, Right? I was like, who is this guy? He didn't even have shoes on right now. What a joker, right? There's a handful of awkward people over here, right? Uh, A girl that seemed like she was trying too hard to have it together. And we're sitting in someone's living room. I'm like, this is awkward. There's like a candle over there. This is just, this is like, what are we doing here? You know, I didn't like it, right? And then we started worshiping Jesus. And, And Jesus came into the room. And the pride of my heart started kind of melting. And and I I could see the hearts of people for Jesus. And all of a sudden, people started coming up to me and praying over me. And it's like they knew what was going on in my life because God was speaking to them. And then a couple people started pursuing me after after life. Hey, let's get lunch. And man, I felt loved in a way that my insecure with all its, you know, veneer on the outside, my insecure heart so needed. My life was changed in this messy, uh, awkward at times in the natural group of people who love Jesus. It wasn't a straight line. It was messy, but it was a Jesus people. And I want to say, church, we're a Jesus people. We're a Jesus church at Antioch. And what I mean by that is we don't just do community to do community. I think a lot of times we come to church for community. But if we're not coming to church for Jesus first, we're gonna be codependent, right, at best on one another, right? And then it's great at first, and then when someone falters and falls short and isn't who we hope them to be or, you know, isn't Jesus, we get mad at the church and we get mad at people. We don't come to church for people first. We come to church for Jesus first. And then we do community around that. And if we get that out of order, you got all kinds of problems. Okay. Secondly, so so again, they had Jesus at the center. Secondly, they shared life together. They shared life together. Now, this word here um, translated fellowship in, in verse 42. 
is the, is the Greek word koinonia. And that means a, a sharing or a joint participation. Meaning not just one or two people were participating, but everyone in the group was participating, right? Or, or communion with one another. It, it essentially is sharing life together. They shared life together. They were in one another's worlds. They knew the highs and lows of one another's lives. There was vulnerability happening. They were sharing their physical and financial needs, and they were meeting one another's financial needs. They were, they were caring for one another. They were lifting one another up, right? They were in one another's lives, and they were all bringing things to the table to offer the church and the groups. Guys, this is where church and especially life groups go from lame to exciting. Is when we learn to share life together. Because if we're a bunch of like fake people sitting in a living room who are pretending to have it together, like I'd probably choose some other people to hang out with, you know? Like who, who uh, are, are fake in the way I want to be fake, right? But, but here's people who are diverse getting real together this is where it gets exciting. So this is, this is in a fast food, Instagram, this is culture, this is countercultural. It's slow, it's messy, sharing life with people is like, it's not cool, right? You know, it's, it's just, it, it has a few implications. Number one, it means being vulnerable. It means being vulnerable. Whether you're pro-mask or anti-masks, we all love to wear masks. Think about that for a second. <laughs> Y'all seem a little tired. All right, all right. Uh, we all have masks we love to put on, right? <laughs> um, cracking myself up. We all have masks we love to put on. We have scripts about our lives and fears we believe about ourselves. Oftentimes, we don't even know what those scripts are. This tape that plays in the back of our head. I'm not enough. I'm failing as a husband. No one wants to be my friend. I'm going to fail, right? I'm not special enough, right? Uh, I, I feel out of control. We come in to community people with scripts, and then we kind of put masks on oftentimes to kind of put our best foot forward. I kind of clean up, come to church. I sin, but not too bad. I'm not going to tell you the worst version of it. I just need a little prayer, right? And so we put on the veneer of what we hope other people to see in us. What vulnerability means is that we come not as we hope other people to see us, we come as we are. And, and why that's hard is that not only have we learned to put a veneer on and put our best foot forward uh, our entire lives, but we believe a lie often deep in ourselves that if people really knew who I was without the additives, people wouldn't want me to be here. And that's the beauty of a Jesus community, is that Jesus meets us where we are as we are, we don't clean up to come to Jesus, church. We don't clean up to come to church. We come to church with all our baggage, and we come to Jesus with all our baggage. He takes it from us, and he gives us love and grace. That's the gospel. 
He takes our worst and gives us his best. So why do we do it differently in church? We want to be a Jesus gospel people, right? And what happens is when one person takes their mask off, metaphorically speaking, right? When one person takes their veneer off and gets vulnerable and they don't die, other people realize they can let their guard down and they won't die either. And that's the beauty of community. People start to get set free. My wife and I led a life group years ago when we lived in Texas. And I remember one of the first life groups, a guy who was an ex-pastor. His wife had let him, left him. He had to step out of ministry. He comes, and at, towards the end, we break out guys and ladies. He's like, hey, he goes first. I got something to confess. I got to admit, tonight I was deciding between coming to life group and picking up a prostitute. And in tears, he starts sharing his story. Man, you better believe that life group got awesome. Because when he got vulnerable, all the other men started getting vulnerable. And when a man gets vulnerable, church, that's powerful. Men, that's powerful. Man, what happened in that life group? People got saved, people got restored. People got married. People got set free. We had that guy got transformed and is back in ministry. We had another guy get launched into ministry. We had numerous of them are leading different areas uh, right now, different churches. God, God did amazing things in that life group, but it happened by vulnerability. And that may take you time if you're sitting here and you're like, ah, oh, not ready to jump off the deep end yet. That's okay. It takes time. Take a step at a time when it comes to vulnerability. So it means koinonia, shared life, means vulnerability. It means mutual support. When we're open with where we're at, we can support one another on the, along the way. You're not always going to have good days, and you're definitely not going to always have good seasons. And that's the beauty of community. When one is down, another's up. And when one is up, another's down. And we come as we are, and we get real and we step into one another's worlds and carry one another's burdens, as Scripture says. So I want to ask you, do you have a place you can show up a hot mess and be loved? Do you have a person you can call when stuff seems like it's falling apart? I think God wants all of us to be able to answer that question with a yes. Lastly, just one of many things that shared life can mean is that they shared responsibility within the church. They had a shared responsibility, right? Back to that analogy of the body of Christ, right? Y'all tracking with me? All right. The body of Christ, many members, right? And, and, and Paul talks about each of us being like a member of the body. One's a finger, one's a hand, one's an eye, right? And, and they all do different things. Eyes, they see. Hears, ears, they hear, Right? Intestines, they digest. Hands do hand things, right? Legs, they move you around. What would happen if certain parts of the body are just like, I'm off this month? Like, just a little busy down here, you know? My, my foot is busy doing foot things, so it's not gonna, not gonna show up, you know? Right? 
Or if most of the body were sitting waiting for one part of the body to do what all the other parts of the body are supposed to do. And they're kind of like, hey, just get it together out there, neck, you know? Neck, could you walk us, please? Oh, you, you can walk, you can do it for us. We're just going to watch you and relax over here, right? We want you to do it for us, right? But that, that's often how we do church. Y'all doing okay? I'm challenging us a little bit today. I'm not just talking about us at Antioch Fullerton. I'm talking about the Big C Church as well. That's often how we do church. We often come kind of so we can get what we want at our convenience, and we wait for a handful of people to serve us that meal. And if we like the meal, we like it. (laughs) If we don't like the meal, we get frustrated. Again, that's not all of us, right? But we have a tendency that way, partially because of the culture we live in, is a, uh, is a um, commit customer service culture. And I love customer service, right? So I'm all about it, right? I, I get excited about that. But church does it differently. So it takes the whole body for the whole body to thrive. If you're in a life group, it takes all the life group members to bring their parts to the group for the life group to work. It takes on Sunday mornings, everyone bringing something for us to function and reach as many people as we could. It takes the whole body to come together to be the whole body for the whole world. And so in a koinonia, a shared life community, the members of that community Share the responsibility. If the life group stinks, it's not just the leader's fault, although that's part of it, right? It's everyone's problem. And if the life group is awesome, then everyone celebrates in that success because everyone is bringing something together. This isn't just me trying to like, we're coming out of COVID. We should, you know, be at church or something. This is what the Bible says. So I'm just telling you what it says in here. Okay. So the result is when we share life together, it makes us stronger. Now, I had an illustration, which I forgot today. So uh, what I meant to bring was if like, if each of us are a string, right? I could probably take a, break a string pretty easily. Like I said, I used to lift weights. Uh, Just kidding. (laughs) I could probably break a string pretty easily, right? So could you. Right? Little string, not hard. But when you weave strings together, it gets hard to break. Look it. I'm pulling pretty hard. It's not budging. Because they're woven together. One string alone breaks easily, but when strings are woven together, it not only creates something stronger, but it creates something kind of (laughs) nice. And that is what God designed with the body. Like I said, Lone rangers will always struggle. We're made to be woven together with other people and strength happens in that place. So lastly, and then we'll get you to lunch. They were devoted. The early church was devoted. Starts at the beginning of verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking bread and prayers. The word devoted means to be wholly given to something. Holy given to something. And they're devoted to God and one another. So devotion is the bedrock 
of community. It's like if, if Jesus is the fire and, and, and our shared life is the logs, devotion creates the fire pit for that to be contained in. Consistency. Coming not just for me, but coming for me and others and Jesus, right? We can't just dip in and dip out and get transformed. You can. We're not going to tell you you can't come. But if you want the abundant life, if you want to be transformed, that means not just dipping in and dipping out because we'll only get out of community what we're willing to put into it. We'll only get out of community what we're willing to put in. Absolutely, can, can you and Jesus have a powerful encounter? Absolutely, that's one of our circles. Me and Jesus, we're all about spending time with Jesus, walking with Jesus all week long. But then we walk that out in community, you get the point. So man, if we want to go an inch deep, we could do that. But our invitation is start there, but keep stepping deeper and deeper so you don't just get inch deep roots and results. On top of that, we'll only build something, right? So we'll only get what we put in to community on top of that, we'll only build something as strong as the level of our devotion. And man, I just sense in my spirit, especially coming into 2022, it's a new and exciting season for us as a church. I really sense God is speaking some things. We're, we're, we're taking some exciting steps, which we'll continue to update you about, both in our community, uh, but, but as well as just continue to build out leadership. God is doing something exciting. If we're going to create a space on Sunday mornings, for example, for people to encounter Jesus, that's going to take us building it together. If we're going to create a space for our kids to grow up with disciples of Jesus and for them to have other friends that they're going deep with that are also following Jesus, that's going to take us building it together. If we're going to have depth in our groups and transformation, that's going to be us building it together. That's going to be us sharing responsibility and being willing to be devoted to that thing which we want to see. And I admit, that takes sacrifice. That takes discomfort. That takes, uh, you know, there's probably more, uh, there's probably churches that are bigger that you could slip in, slip out a little more easily. Of. And that's fine. If that's what you uh, our feeling, we bless you, that's awesome, we love you, we want you, because you're all beautiful and amazing people. Uh, but it, it takes sacrifice to, to step into the picture that Jesus paints for us and that we see in the early church here. And what were they devoted to is said to the teaching, to the fellowship, the breaking bread and prayers. They were devoted to shared practices together. Not just to shared theology, although that's part of it, they were devoted to shared practices together. Because you see, we're ultimately the summation of the practices we live in our lives, right? If, if we watch three hours of TV a day and eat a gallon of ice cream every day or two, we will be the result of those practices. If we work out consistently and eat relatively healthy, we will have the result of those practices, right? And so these are the practices of the Jesus people community. They broke bread together. They, they were devoted to prayer. They were devoted to the word of God. They were devoted to, to generosity with one another. They, they were devoted to living on mission wherever they went. This wasn't the apex. This was a locker room, and they got sent out on mission all week long. They were devoted 
to Jesus and one another and, and practicing the way of Jesus and they were transformed by that. That's why we talk about in this church, not only life groups, we talk about spending time with Jesus. We talk about where are you living on mission right now as a sent out one? Who is in your life? Where are you being vulnerable? Not because we want to force you to do that or you do that to earn God's love. No, you already got God's love. We do that so we can experience more of it and step into all that God has for us. So, three questions for reflection as we end. Jacob, you're the man. Play something spiritual. <laughs> Just a few questions for reflection. Number one, what role does community have in your life? And, and I do wanna say that I'm not saying that life group is your only community. Some of my best friends are not in our life group, and I'm also excited to be going deeper with friends in our life group. So yes, life group, but not only life group. We're not weird, you know what I mean? <laughs> what role does community have in your life? You know, does someone know what's going on in your world? Do you know what's going on in some other people's world, and are you showing up for them consistently to carry them through their stuff? Are you bringing your gifts to the table in a community consistently? Or are you hiding them? What role does community have in your life? Second question, what are some barriers to that? Some of us, in, in different seasons, it's busyness for us. I need to have a conversation with one of my good friends who's not in our church, an honest, hard conversation. I, I was just like, man, I just need to. I need to prioritize having that conversation. I was telling my wife that the other day because it's easy for me just to not have that hard conversation, left, leave things unsaid. I gotta prioritize that friendship and God on my way to prioritize it. That's a barrier for me is business. For some of us, it's fear. Some of us have legitimate hurt from relationships, legitimate hurt from churches. We've gotten legitimately burned by people. Some of us, it's the fear of being real and letting or emotional mass down. What are your barriers? And lastly, what is Jesus speaking to you about this today? I don't want to be up here just telling you to do much. I want, I want you to hear the word and hear the Holy Spirit right now. And we're actually going to make space for that because we believe, we as a church believe God speaks to us and can speak to us every day. First and foremost, through scripture, he's already been speaking to us today, but also by the Holy Spirit, who if you're a follower of Jesus, lives in us.